Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning, North Coast Calvary Chapel. Hi guys, how are you guys doing? Guys, I am James Walton. I am the fourth through sixth grade director. And yes, that means I have the most fun of anybody on staff. I get to serve the coolest kids. We have the coolest room. And I love what I get to do. I've been in this room for the last two weeks, helping out in kids games, emceeing with this room full of kids. So now I have to be with you guys. Um, <laughs> no, I am privileged to be on the stage with you guys. And I'm also privileged to be able to invite you guys to come serve with me in the fourth through sixth grade ministry. As I said, it is one of the coolest ministries that we have. I love this age group of kids because they are in such a unique spot. They're not quite too cool for school yet. So they haven't completely discredited adults altogether. Um, they still like to have fun. They still love to play games. But most importantly, they're in this place where they're asking questions. And they're asking questions about God. And they've been hearing these stories of who God is. And now they're wondering why. And they're wondering how. And we get to facilitate those questions and also help point them towards the truth that is found in the Bible and help them develop a relationship with God and with each other as well. And so if that's something you're interested in and want to partner with us, we'd love to have you come serve alongside us as we just help facilitate that relationship and that growth. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share with you guys in fourth through sixth grade ministry, we have a three-year curriculum that we've worked on where we've taken in the complexities of what it looks like for a Southern California kid to come to church like once a month and like still grow in a meaningful, deep relationship with God. And so we've strategized on how we can help them understand the fullness of who God is, as well as how they can encounter him in a personal way. Um, but being that said, I, it's a structure that I have to kind of stick with, that I teach with every weekend now. Whereas before, before I had that structure, every weekend I would go in, God, what do you want to say to these fourth through sixth graders? What do you want to speak? What, what's going on? And it got to a place of kind of a lot of pressure. I had to hear from God. I had to know what God wanted to say. But as I come with you guys this morning, I get to kind of come back to that place where right now I kind of get to ask God, God, what do you want to say to our congregation? What do you want to speak? And I got this white canvas that I get to work with. And I felt like the Lord has led me to Psalm 1. But I love where we're at in this series right now, where we've been talking about becoming like David. That means so much to me, this reality of what it means to become like David. Uh, in my personal story, in my uh, kind of journey that I've been on, uh, the Lord took me down to this place down in Chile with an organization called YWAM, um, Youth with a Mission. And I did a six-month school called a discipleship training school. And while I was in that school, um, the Lord just encountered my life and began unfolding and unraveling kind of the truths of the Bible. And I, I found the story of David. And I was just so encountered by his love for God and his acts of faith. And in Acts 13, 22, it says that he um, has a heart after God. And that he would do anything that the Lord asked. And I'm like, God, I want that. I want to be like that. So I spent time like praying, gave me a heart of David and fasting for that reality. And then I kept reading and then found the story of Bathsheba. And I was like, wait, God, no, stop. I'm not so sure. That's what I want in my life. But the reality is, is that David had these steps of faith and had these things. And that's where our series is on. It's becoming like David and that, that heart after God, that desire, that passion for him, that willingness to do whatever God asks of us, that we would be willing to walk in that. And that's where we're at in this series. And as today we look at Psalm 1, what I want us to understand as a congregation, the truth that I want us to realize and embody is this reality that we are planted near an abundance, that we are planted near an abundance. And as we go through the Psalm today, I think the truth in it is a reality of something that we already have, the reality that we've been planted near an abundance. 
Will you read Psalm 1 with me? We're going to go through it, and then we're going to pray. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, we pray that in this morning you would just reveal the truth of your scripture to us, God, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would help us understand what it looks like to live as this blessed man, God. Lord, that you would show us the reality of the blessing that we already have in you, Jesus, that you would teach us what it means to put our roots deep in your living waters, God. I pray that you would just ordain the words that come out of my mouth this morning and you'd build up and encourage every single person in this room to live with a heart of David, a heart after you, God, a heart that is willing to do whatever you ask. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I teach fourth through sixth graders, it's very important that I assess and understand the realities of Christianese. You know, so often do we as adults, we've been a part of the church for so long, we use Christian language to help explain these vast ideas. And I can't teach fourth through sixth graders the same way because they are not fluent in Christianese. They don't understand those words. And so when I throw words like grace at them, they're just like, I don't know what that means. It, it doesn't have any substance for them. But I think even with adults that sometimes we have that kind of that same reality that we use these words so often that it begins to lose its meaning. And it just becomes a part of kind of our normal sayings that we don't actually understand what we mean when we say them. And the word I'm specifically talking about and want to go dive in deeper as to what it means is the word to be blessed. Psalm starts off, blessed is the man who does not do these things. And that reality for us of what it looks like to be blessed, I think we need to understand. It's pivotal for us in this morning that we understand what it looks like to be blessed. We use the word blessed in a lot of different ways. For instance, yesterday I went out to lunch with a friend, got some Costco pizza, sat there with my pepperoni slice of pizza, and, and we went to pray, Lord, bless this food to my body. What am I asking God to do when I say, Lord, bless this food to my body? Like, I am, am I expecting him to like, change the molecular structure of this pizza that it would be like, less fattening for me? Am I like, expecting that like, through this pizza that there would just be like, a holy light that shines as it goes like, deep into my body? Like, what am I expecting to do? Am I hoping that in some way it influences the conversation that we're having? Like, we use this word bless and we toss it to a lot of different places and use it in a lot of different ways. But what do we mean by it? There's sometimes when I'm traveling, when I'm in places like Egypt, where the food, the water that they use is like sketchy and like it's cooked, the food's cooked in it sometimes. And so when I bless that food, I'm like, Lord, kill disease that is could be in this like give this safe like I want to eat this and be well so I'm literally like make this like I don't care if it's healthy you know I just don't want to like get real sick from it so you know it doesn't need to be 
Or when I eat a salad, you know, could I eat a salad? I'm like, Lord, bless the salad. It's going to not taste that great, but I pray that like, it actually sustains my body. So what do we mean when we, when we use the word bless? Well, we use it for food. It's used in the Bible. It talks about Jacob and Esau, and Jacob kind of stole the blessing from Esau. Like, what does this mean, this kind of thing that can be taken? Sometimes I ask some friends, like, what does it mean to be blessed? And I think sometimes we, we talk about like circumstantial things that happen that we can contain like a blessing within. Maybe that's what we think blessing is. Or sometimes it has to do with like material possessions or things that we can get. The, the hashtags floating around of hashtag blessed of these realities, like something happened to me, I was given something and I'm just so blessed because of that reality. And is that really what a blessing is? Or some, some people say it's like a spiritual covering. It's, it's this aspect of like, wherever you go, you're in the Lord's favor. And oh, and you just like, you can pull up into Costco and like somebody will back up and you'll get a front row parking spot because God is with you always. And like, what is this reality that we're talking about when we say someone is blessed? I think we need to understand that as we go into the Psalm. And the reality is, is that we are blessed. We are blessed. We have been planted near in abundance. I reached out to Jung and I asked him to share with me what blessing looks like in this season that he is going through. Um, some of you know that he had a brain tumor that was removed and he's recovering from that. What does blessing look like for him? And he said that he has been so blessed by our church congregation and the way that we've come around and support him in prayer and loved upon him. He said that he felt blessed that he has like a new lease on life, that this reality that he sees and lives differently because of the situation that he's in. Well, the word that is used here, when we look at it, what it means in the Hebrew, I know this because, not because I studied, but because I have an app on my phone and then I can click <laughs> words after it. it. gives a description, tools of the modern age. Um, but it helps us understand that the word blessed that it's used here, it actually, the literal sense of mean happy is the man. It is this connection with happiness. And the first time that I heard that definition, I didn't like it. I'm like, that's not what I think blessed is. That's not what I think, just to be happy. Because happy has to do with this idea of like that root being happen. It's something lucky, like happiness short-term lived. Like, is that really what it means to be blessed? There's this quick sense of like happiness, something lucky happen to somebody? And like, no, it, it means so much more. And the reality is our language kind of gives that definition of what happiness is, but blessed means something more even beyond that. Rick Calvert says it this way. He says, happiness can come from without and can be dependent on circumstances, whereas blessedness spews forth from the soul of man. It is fed by an inward fountain of joy which no outward circumstances can seriously affect. Blessedness is therefore higher than happiness, for it consists of standing in a right relation to God, and so realizing the true purpose of a man's being. You see, true blessing is not limited to circumstances or situations, spiritual favor, but it's this reality of being content in, term, in relationship to God being happy in the reality that we have been made right with God. 
Romans 3.22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Happiness is found in being right with God. And this reality that we are all blessed because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, he has made us right with God, that we no longer, we can walk in joy that he has made us right with God, that we are where we're supposed to be that he has promised us something for an eternity. And that is what it means to be blessed. In Matthew 5, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he walks through um, some people, some groups of people who are blessed. I want you to go through this. I want you to kind of analyze it with me because there's something very important I want us to pull out of it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I don't know if it stood out to you or popped out to you, but there's this reality where Jesus says, blessed is this person, and despite their circumstances, they are blessed because of what is to come. They are blessed about what is going to happen. It says that for they will be comforted, for they will inherit the earth, for they will be filled, for they will be shown mercy, for they will be called children of God. Their reality of blessing is not because of their circumstance, but it's about what is coming. I have been blessed with the opportunity to be able to travel kind of throughout the world. And I've gotten to go to Egypt about like five or six times. I've honestly lost count. I've been to Europe several times. I lived down in Chile for a total of about three years. I've been to a ton of different countries, totally more than like 15 now. And it's an awesome opportunity that I've had in my life. There's a reality with traveling, that it's not always about the destination. Sometimes it's the journey getting there that is kind of tough. Specifically, I went to Europe recently or just across the Atlantic Ocean. And there's something about flying coach in a plane for that long that is just terrible. It is just terrifying. And it's this reality that going, getting to that place is just so difficult. It's such a struggle to deal with, but we endure it because of where we get to go because of it. There's not many other ways, unless you have a lot of money, that you get to fly uh, in first class. But otherwise, you've got to suffer through that journey to get to that destination. Well, blessing is about the destination, And along the journey we endure, we suffer through it because of the blessing of where we get to go through Christ Jesus, the promise that he has given us that when we believe in him, we have eternity and life with him, that we have been made right with God. And there's a happiness and a joy that comes in this reality that we don't have to fear death anymore. We have been made right with God. But the reality is, is that the destination affects the journey. We are willing to go through the journey, that the journey is made, we're given even more joy on the journey because of where we get to go. If you just had to jump in a plane and fly around for 15 hours to land right back where you took off, that would be terrible. And I don't know who would do that. But the reality is where we're going begins to affect. And the reality is heaven wants to come to earth now. And we actually begin to get that destination in our journey, on our way there. We get glimpses of that here and now, where God's moving hand comes, where his, the destination invades earth. That is true blessing that we get to walk in. Happiness that we have been made right with God In the Psalm 1, it gives us an image of someone who is not blessed and what someone who 
is blessed does not do. Let's read it again. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. What does it mean to walk and step with the wicked? Well, I think it, it's very, it's kind of this person who is walking in the same direction as the wicked. They're going towards the same place. They have the same destination. And the person who is blessed does not have the same destination, is not going the same direction as those that are wicked, doesn't do the same things, doesn't have the same goals, isn't after the same things, but it is different. Person does not do, does not stand in the way that sinners take. And as I've been kind of imagining what that looks like, it's kind of like every time I get to this part, I'm transported immediately to this place, the destination of where sinners are committing their sin, where they're quite literally missing the mark. The reality is, is that the blessed man does not stand where sinners take, is not present where sinners are sinning, isn't around that place, isn't doing what they're doing continues and says, does not sit in the company of mockers. Sitting was a term that was used to describe this, this idea of belonging. When somebody would sit with people, whether it be at the gate or with his people, when they sat there, it was saying that they belonged to this group of people. That's why so many people had such a problem with Jesus sitting with sinners and eating with them. It's because the Pharisees looked at him and saying, he's saying he belongs to those people. If he's a prophet, then surely he doesn't belong to them. But the reality for Jesus, he can sit amongst sinners because he knows he doesn't belong to them, but he belongs to the Father. That his identity was in the Father. It wasn't who he sat with. But still, the way David communicates this psalm to us is that uh, the blessed man does not sit in the company of mockers, doesn't belong to the people who mock the things of God, who disagree with the things of God, who make fun of the things of God. From the, thing, from the stories of my youth, my video was shared this last weekend where they just kind of highlighted some stuff, kind of this marketing campaign to get you guys ready for a young face like mine. But the reality is, is that... The reality is it was highlighting not so much my, who I am, but it was highlighting what Jesus has done in my life. Because the reality is my life would look much different without Jesus in it. And such a cool way to be, it's such an honoring thing to be able to share just the goodness of Jesus through my story. But in that story, it was mentioned how when I was in high school, I really struggled with a lot of different things. I grew up in the church, but who I belonged with, who I sat with, were sinners, were mockers, were people who dishonored the things of God. And the reality is I was owned, I was controlled by those people and by those influences that my friends would lead me to smoke and lead me down wrong paths and I felt controlled by them. And I remember I would go to church still and I'd sit Sunday nights right over there and I would hear Mark's messages and his call to faith, his call to give our lives to the Lord and I would raise my hand and I'd say, Jesus, I wanna give my life to you but I know tonight or tomorrow my friends are gonna call and I'm gonna go right back. I'm gonna go right back to that reality because I was owned by them. And I, I cared about what they thought or what they would think of me. And so I didn't want to say to them, guys, I gave my life to Jesus again and like let them know that this reality that because I, it was so important to me what they thought and what they saw of me. I belonged to them. I was owned by them. I sat with them. I was consumed by what was important. I was addicted and owned by that crowd. So how do we break that ownership how do we get rid of that kind of like 
that those things that consume us, that are so important to us that we can't really quite escape. Well, for me, in my story, I needed to change my environment entirely. I was 17, I just graduated from high school. I was still doing the same things and I needed a change. So the Lord took me down to Chile uh, with YWAM and completely changed my environment. 17 years old, new country, and just this new opportunity. YWAM is such a, a, a cool organization. I love it. actually this weekend. It has done, the organization done so much for me and my faith journey with Jesus. But even our church has benefited so much. This weekend, we have a YWAMer sharing in high school, who's the intern for high school. In our fourth through sixth grade ministry, I have a team of YWAMers who are serving our kids there. And it's just rather they've been in kids games serving the weeks before. But our church has benefited so much. And I was talking to Mark Freestead about YWAM. He's like, so, so what is YWAM? Is it kind of like a mission trip or is it like a school or like, what is it? And it's, I'm like, it's both those things together. It's this time of serving, but it's also a time of learning and growing in the things of God. And the best way that I could give them a description of what it was is by saying, you know, you spend six months doing anything, like you're going to get better at that thing. If you, for six months, you wanted to be a better surfer, so you surfed every single day, you hung around surfers, you learned the surf stock talk, you, you studied surf charts and all these different things, like you are going to be a better surfer like six months later. And the reality is when you do like a school like YWAM and you take six months of your life and you're living with Christians, you're studying the word of the Lord with Christians, you're going to worship, you're just in this community of Christians that after you're serving with them, you're practicing the disciplines, you're interceding, you're doing these things, you're going to be changed and transformed by that reality. And that's what happened for me. I was able to enter into this environment. And particularly in my story, I got there and I was sick. I was fine on the first flight, got on my second flight in Panama, and a fever just hit me. I began shaking on the plane. So cold, woman next to me. Estás bien? And I'm like, oh man, I'm not in California anymore. Like, oh. <laughs> And I landed there, I was sick, I spent like the first two days like bedridden, and I went into the cafeteria, man, Commodore, it's so much easier to say in Spanish, I do this every service, but cafeteria, it just sounds weird, but I went into the place where they were worshiping, they were doing an intercession uh, service at this time. I walked in and it sounded like angels were singing. And I was just such in a broken place that I just began to cry, I just began to cry and People saw me crying, they came around me, they surrounded me, and they began to pray for me. And I felt like God spoke to me in that moment, and he just said, James, you no longer have your friends as a distraction. You no longer have your parents in between us. You don't have these influences or drugs. It's just you and me. And I just surrendered at that moment. I just said, God, here's my life. Teach me. Do what you want with me. I'm yours. I'm not going to put up any walls and any barriers. And over the course of the next three months as we're in this lecture phase, I just soaked in the word of God. And then I got to put that into practice. And it was, so I needed to change my environment in order to change who, what owned me and what consumed me. Sometimes we need to remove temptations entirely from us, something that controls us that we just can't escape. We need to remove it entirely. Maybe that's drinking for some of us, where it's just the temptation of having that available. We need to just say no more. There's an app on my phone that I need to use for work in order to publish and, and do promoting and different things, but I just don't trust myself with that app on my phone for the rest of the week. So I use it, I do what I need to do with it, and then I delete it. I remove it from my phone so it's not a temptation. There's things that we need to do to remove temptations that are blocks from us that we are being owned by, where Jesus wants us to not 
be controlled by those things. Sometimes we break those things through spiritual disciplines. For me, one of those things that I discovered in Chile was fasting. I was like, people still do this? Like, they actually don't eat food? <laughs> like, they're crazy. Are you kidding me? But I discovered this reality, and the Lord called me into a season of fasting where it was, it was something where you're denying something so basic, such as food, that your body, your flesh needs. But when you're saying no to that because you're saying yes to more of God, there's something so powerful in that discipline, in that act where God, not even something as basic as food, I'm going to say no to because I desire to be filled by God. That's where we say, God, you are what owns me. You are what consumes me. You are my desire, not even something as basic as food. So those are the ways that we can break that ownership. But the reality is we are planted near abundance. And one of those abundances is mentioned in Psalm 1-2. But those who delight uh, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This is what the blessed man does. He delights in the law of the Lord. And what it's talking about, the law of the Lord, it's not in reference to the Ten Commandments. It's not saying that this guy just reads the Ten Commandments like, I love these laws. No, what it's in reference to is the full story of God. This is what it's referring to, the story of God. It is his delight, the reality of God, the reality of God for and pursuing the Israelites and desiring them, that reality of God and faithful men and women pursuing relationship with God. That is the blessed man's delight. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it, on the law, day and night. What this looks like, it looks like to chew on God's word, to chew on it. There's an image of a cow where it eats grass, but then it puts it in this place in its stomach, I guess, and then it brings it back up and it chews on it some more. That is what we need to do with the law of the Lord. For me, it's been a blessing to be able to study the scripture because what I've been able to do is for the last three weeks, just read it over and over again and soak it in. And sometimes I would wait at night before I'd go to bed, I'd be reading it and it wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't get more insight with it, but I'd just be reading it again. I'd be meditating on it. And that's what we need to do with the law of the Lord, not just reading, but sitting with it, rereading it and even memorizing it. We need to study scripture. It needs to be our delight to have it and meditate on it. Our fourth through sixth graders have a big gift, and the reality is all of our songs are scripture. And so we just make them super fun to sing, and we throw some hand motions to them. So all of our kids know all these epic songs and all these scriptures because we just turn them into songs. You guys should try it sometimes. We have a lot of fun. We stand up on our chairs. We dance around. It's a blast. I'm just saying it's an offer. You guys could change things up again, you know. That's how we can meditate. So these are the things that the blessed man doesn't do and that he does do. But the idea, the true meaning of blessing coming down to blessing is not limited to circumstances or spiritual favor or even material possessions. But the reality of being blessed is evident in the contentment related to walking in God's will. The reality is that we are happy because we have been made right with God. That is something that is intrinsic, that is so valuable, that nothing outside can change. But we have a happiness in God because he has made us right with him through Christ Jesus. Brings me to our second point, again, just reiterating that we have been planted near in abundance. But what I want you to know in the second point is this, is that our spiritual life, our spiritual journey is like a tree. Verse three, it says this that a person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, 
and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. He is like a tree planted near rivers. What he's trying to communicate to us by saying he's planted near rivers, he is planted near abundance. We have been planted near in abundance, friends. That Jesus is our abundance, and we have been planted near him. We are close to that. But what I want us to know is that our spiritual life journey is like a tree. And the reality is because I think so many times I've heard so many different metaphors that help us try to understand what this faith journey is like. I've heard it said where like faith is like these stairs where like the more faith you have or when you live out the faith, you like take another step up and you're, you're increasing your faith, you're growing in your faith. Or sometimes we refer to it as like a mountain of this journey that we're on and we climb up this mountain. Or sometimes we might reference it as like seasons where you have these huge seasons growth, but then like not all seasons are like that. And you're, sometimes you're in these lower growing, these different seasons or difficult seasons where it's not the same. But when we begin to see our spiritual life journey like a tree, something changes because a tree has these rings, right? It has these markers for the different years that it has been through. And some of those years are marked with greater growth. And some of those years, things were difficult that happened where it didn't have quite as much growth. But the reality is, is that every single ring is still a part of that tree and who it is. Because when we look at metaphors like stairs or mountains, the reality is, is that we can fall down, we can lose it all, that it can all go wash away. Or maybe we get to the top of the mountain, but if we keep going, we're gonna have to come down that mountain and it can't go on. But when we look at our spiritual journey like a tree, we look at everything as a part of who we are. The seasons of great growth, the seasons of difficulty, the years where we've seen much of God's favor It's a part of all of who we are. And what it communicates to us is it communicates that the best is not behind us, that we are planted near an abundance and therefore we have the ability to continue to grow and take in more of who God is, that there are still years where we can continue to grow, that it's not done. And we don't have this performance mentality that like I have to earn holiness with God. And if I mess up, I'd lose all of it and have to start my faith journey all over again. No, that is not the gospel that we believe, that Jesus has given us the free gift of his grace. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it, but it's free to us. And importantly, as we looked at Psalm 51 last week, as we talked about David's story with Bathsheba, where he writes the Psalm and he says, Lord, blot out my transgressions, remove it, That when we look at our spiritual life journey like a tree, the reality is that we may sin, but it doesn't discredit all the other years. It doesn't discredit what God has done in the past. And we see that with David because despite this great sin, God still had his great compassionate mercy for David where we can now sit in a series of becoming like David because the the years before that weren't discredited. His years where he had steps of faith, where he took on giants, or where despite the great persecution, he was still honoring towards Saul, all these different things that he went through, we can still learn from and grow from because they are valuable, because they are a part of his tree. They're a part of his life. And we can see the faithfulness of God. It's important for us to understand that God has planted us near abundance and that our spiritual life journey is like that tree. This is the promise that we have in this verse is that we're like a tree, but it's also our challenge is that we have a challenge to continue to grow, continue to be fruitful. It would be so easy for me to look back at my life and be like, you know, 10 years ago, I really had these spiritual movements and I was fasting, I was praying God, but now things are different. 
But instead, I can look at that and still value that, but I still have the challenge to continue to grow where I'm at today, continue to be fruitful in the season that I find myself in now. I don't know if you, maybe you saw a revival back when you were my age. Now, you know, back then that happened, but now, no, the same challenges today to continue to grow, to continue to seek the things of God and continue to see him move in your life because we have been planted near in abundance and that stream does not grow dry. The Psalm says in this verse three, it says it yields his fruit in season. What We can take so much rest in this reality. We don't always have to be bearing fruit, but it is done in season. I've had quite the summer, all right? Kids Games is here for a youth pastor. It's just intense. And so week one of Kids Games is how it started. I had 24 kids that were in our drone elective. It was our brand new elective where we're teaching kids to build, fly, and race drones. It was my idea. It was, it was so much fun. But imagine this, a room 24 kids and 12 drones all flying around. It was just, it was pure, it was chaos. But it was so much fun. The kids learned to draw. We had, we had just an epic blast. But that was week one. Week two, we move in, and I'm the MC in this room. We got like 400 kids in here with like 100 youth leaders. We're leading them, we're hyping them, getting them excited. End of the week, I got 35 gallons of jello dumped on me. And then we moved in, go back to the fourth through sixth grade room, teach them, move with them. And then the next week, this last week, I'm with the kids, and boom. Day one, they're like arms crossed. They're like, what do you got? And like the whole week, we're just like, let's go get them amped, get them excited. And by day five, they're like up here singing, like, yeah, they're going crazy. They're having a blast. And then like taking my buddy Anton through like chocolate syrup, having him crawl through mud, hitting him with cream pies to the face and like throwing feathers on him, ice bucket, just a whole lot. And thank God that I don't have to do that all year long. Because now I get to be with you guys. I get to share with you. And this is an intense season, but it's not how it always has to look, that we get to produce our fruit, yield our fruit in season. And we are not always called to just be producing, 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 but instead we can take comfort in the reality that the blessed man is like a tree planted by waters, producing his fruit, yielding his fruit in season. So find rest in that. We can find rest in the seasons where maybe we're not fruitful, where God has us in a special place. We can find peace and the reality when we've been pruned. Maybe some things have been pulled back from us so that we can produce even more fruit down the line. But we also need to be wary, wary of unfruitful seasons. In Luke 13, six through nine, Jesus gives this parable. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. We need to be wary. We need to see is my life being fruitful? Am I producing fruit? Am I, am I sharing the love of Jesus with those around me? Am I testifying about his goodness, of his grace? Am I, am I being generous? Am I living a generous life? Am I giving up my time? Am I serving my time? Am I producing fruit? Because if those things are not taking place and they haven't been taking place in and out of season, then it's something that we need to be wary of. We need to be, um, we need to be cautious of. 
Jesus, before this parable, he says, repent or you shall perish. And the reality is we need to repent from unfruitful season. We need to be available for God. We need to make ourselves available for his kingdom. The psalm continues, and it says this, leaf does not wither. The leaf, you see, is different than the fruit. The fruit is something that is produced in season, but there's something about this leaf where all year long it's green. There's life in it. You can see that there's life in this tree. And I think what this leaf represents for us as a congregation studying this psalm today, that leaf is our testimony in Christ. That no matter the season, no matter the drought, the circumstances that you might find yourself going through, the reality is that the testimony of Christ should still be shining. It should still be visible in your life. That people should be able to see something different about you, should be able to see that there's joy despite the difficulties you're going through, should see that there's something, there's life in you. I think that leaf that doesn't wither, that is present year-round, is the testimony of God's faithfulness and of what Jesus has done and offered each and every single one of us. That others should be able to look at our lives and see Christ's life in us. It continues and says, whatever they do prospers. I think when we read this verse, we can pull it quickly out of context, but it's important that when we look at what it means to prosper, that we understand what it's talking about. It's talking about a tree here. And what does it look like for a tree to prosper? Well, a tree, what are the things that a tree does? It grows, it produces fruit, it puts out its roots, and it stands firm. And those are the things that it's referring to when it says prosperous, because that's what we are called to prosper in, in producing fruit, into growing, into putting our roots down, and in standing firm in difficult seasons. But what I think it also it helps us understand is that when we're talking about the blessed man, the man is blessed because it goes beyond the situations or the circumstances. In Romans 8.28, it says this, and we know that in all things God works the, uh, for good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We have this confidence that all things God is working for our good, that it doesn't matter the seasons that we're going in. We are blessed because we have been made right with God. We are happy because we have been made right with God. And we can walk in no matter if we start a business and it fails or start something and it goes well, that we have this blessedness behind that, that reality that we have been made right with God, that he is working all things for our good and that we are truly prosperous. There's a verse that helps us really understand and that parallels this psalm. And it's found in Jeremiah 17. In verse five through six, it says this, "'Cursed is one who trusts in man, "'who draws his strength from mere flesh, "'and whose heart turns away from the Lord. "'That person shall be like a bush in a wasteland. "'They will not see prosperity when it comes. "'They will dwell in the parched places of the desert "'in a salt land where no one lives.'" The reality is, is that there are wicked people who are going to see prosperity. They're going to have great things happen. But this verse says that they won't see it. They won't understand it when it comes. We as Christians, we need to understand that the prosperity that we have is in Christ Jesus, that we received it and we can be joyful. We can be prosperous in that reality always. We can be full of God not because of the circumstances. No matter what events come up, we can be prosperous in Christ Jesus. In that verse, it continues on, and it says in Jeremiah 7 through 8, it says, but blessed is the one 
who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It puts its roots in the river. This is incredibly important for us to understand that we need to put our roots down in the river of Christ. We need to have our life source coming from him that is feeding us, that is filling us, that is giving us life, that we cannot be dependent on circumstances of rains to come and give us life, for something good to happen, for us to have life, for where we live to feed us, for how much money is in our bank account, for that to make us prosperous. No, our prosperity comes from our roots being in the river from being rooted and planted near in abundance. We can't wait for external circumstances, but we need to find our sustenance in the abundance that the Lord provides. My wife and I, we've had many houseplants in the last years. I love fiddle leaf figs. They're one of my favorite. Every time like Costco's got them for sale, I'm like, babe, they're back, let's go. And we get stoked, we go. And the reality is, is that they're all dead. Um, None of them survived. And do you wanna know why Houseplants die so easily is because of this reality is that they are so dependent on external substance. That they are dependent on somebody coming and watering them. That the reality is they can't put their roots down, that they can't get their water from what's in the ground, but instead they're dependent on something. And if we as Christians are dependent on the things that happen in our life to be blessed, then we too will wither and we will die. Our leaves will not be green but we have been planted there in abundance and we need to put our roots down into the waters that God has given us. Roots that go down into the river. The reality is is this is God's desire for us. This is what God wants for us. And he's willing to change your circumstances that you become less dependent on those things so that the only water that you begin to find in your life is in him. We even need to be willing, God, we were singing in Willie's song, Lord, rain, change our circumstances, change our things so that we would be dependent on you. God wants you to be rooted in him, not to find that short life that comes through things that happen, but instead to find that abundance that is found in him. You won't fear when heat comes if you do that. You won't be fearful in difficult years and you won't fail to bear fruit. The third point that I want to bring us to is this reality that Christ is the living water. Psalm 1-4, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. What is chaff? Well, Spurgeon calls it something that is intrinsically worthless. It's dead, it's unserviceable, it's without substance and easily carried away. You see, there is no fruit in chaff. There is no light in chaff. It has no roots to get life from. It's something that just withers and blown away. Psalm 1.5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. What does it look like to stand in judgment? Well, Israel's judgment in what Jeremiah was referring to was a change in circumstances where they were going to be cursed in their circumstances. But the reality is Jeremiah said that they still have the ability to be blessed despite those circumstances. They still have the opportunity to put their roots down in the river that no matter 
the season that they're in, no matter the drought that would come, no matter the difficulties that they would face, they could still be blessed because they could put their roots in the river. And Christ is the living water for us. For us, what does judgment look like? Well, we will stand before Christ and we will be judged before him. And the reality is if we don't have our roots in him, we will not be able to stand in judgment. We need to root ourselves in Christ's love. Then we will be able to stand. Psalm 1-6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What does it mean that he watches over the way of the righteous? It means he knows the way. Another translation, it uses the word he knows the way. And that term know is knoweth. And how does he know? It says that he knows by seeing. That is the full definition of the word. He knows by seeing. Can you imagine that when David is writing, he kn- God has seen the way of the righteous. He knows what it looks like. And what does it look like? It looks like righteousness through none other than Jesus Christ. Your righteousness does not come through what you do. It does not come through your sacrifices. Your righteousness is in Christ Jesus. It says that the Lord knows the way. He has seen the way. And for David, that way being paved was through Christ Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our living water. In Acts, it referred to the Christians as the way several times. This idea is that Christians in Jesus, they have found the way of righteousness. Through Jesus, we can do nothing without him. He needs to be our life source. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. We can do nothing without Christ. We won't be able to weather the storm. We won't be able to survive the drought. He is the living water. We need to put our roots into him and find that life-giving source from him. I want to invite the band to come join us as we begin to close. I was thinking about the woman at the well. And the woman at the well is just this encounter with Jesus where Jesus refers to himself as living water. And I've just been thinking about how that story must have, this conversation must have haunted this woman. In John 4.10, it says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Guys, Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the source that we can pull from no matter of our circumstances where when we are rooted in him, we won't go thirsty again because we have something that is forever. That is what we have in Christ. That is what is so important for us to understand through the scripture that Jesus is where we need to put our roots into to get life from. This woman was left with this conversation. What did Jesus mean by, I'm the living water. I have living water. If you just ask, I would give you living water. Well, now we know. And when we put our roots in him, it won't matter the circumstances or the things we go through. The reality is, is that Jesus is all that we need. I want to invite the ushers forward right now as we pray for our benevolence offering. And as we just set our sights on Jesus, that he is all that we need. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you 
are more than enough. You are that living water. We look to you, God, to place our roots into you, that we wouldn't be dependent on the rains. We wouldn't be dependent on the circumstances, but we'd be so grounded in who you are and what you've done for us that we would truly be able to call ourselves blessed. God, I pray for this offering this morning, Lord, that we would be able to give generously, God, because our, our substance, our source is not dependent on external things, but is dependent on you, God. We want to be rooted in you. So bless this offering this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.